The Right Hook Podcast. Make business sense on the road with the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater SUV with low BIK, 200 euro VRT and a five-year warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie Hi there. George Hook here with The Right Hook on News Talk Tuesday's version. And if there are things you missed on the show, or indeed if you missed the show in its entirety, here are some of the highlights. The awful atrocity for Belgium this morning at one of their tube stations and in the very airport itself, leaving uh, so far 35 people reported dead and as many as 90 people injured. And, of course, when one says injured, one has no idea what the state of those injuries might be. And many of them will be life-changing. And uh, there's been lots of comment, of course, and caretaker Taoiseach Enda Kenny, uh, he thinks it was an attack on democracy. These acts were utterly uh, indiscriminate, are an attack on our society and democratic values, and I condemn them in the strongest possible terms, as I also condemn the attacks in Mali last night. Those who seek to use death and violence in this way must be confronted, will be confronted, and will be defeated. And then, of course, the French president, Francois Hollande, and uh, he now knows that the war on terrorism has been fought on the very land of Europe. We are standing and looking at a global menace. France and Belgium are joined by a horror that we are having to share. And I have assured the Belgian government that we are, have everything we can do to help them. But a, a war against terrorism is now being fought by all of Europe, and this is a war that is necessary. And, uh, of course, uh, as you can imagine, this is meat and drink to the front-runner for the Republican nomination for president, Donald Trump. Uh, the combination of Donald Trump and Fox News, I would have thought, made for an interesting comment. And here it is. In my opinion, this is just the beginning. It will get worse and worse because we are lax and we are foolish. We are foolish. At this point, we cannot allow these people to come into the country. We are allowing thousands and thousands of people to come into our country, and we don't even know where they come from and who they are. We have to be very careful. We're not babies. We can't do this anymore. We can't have these attacks anymore. We can't have World Trade Centers anymore and, and going planes flying into the Pentagon. It's time to be smart. It's time to look carefully. Well, you had three comments there, Andy Kenny, Francois Hollande, and Donald Trump. Uh, which one made the most sense? Don't you think it makes sense to say we have to be smart? And we can't just leave people indiscriminately into the country that we know nothing about. We don't know where they came from uh, or who they are. Don't you think that's reasonable? Uh, don't you think it's nonsense to actually sort of say this was an attack on democracy and I condemn it? Of course we condemn it. Every single person condemns it. But what are we going to do about it? Uh, Francois Hollande says there's now a war being fought by Europe. And finally, there's Donald Trump saying what I believe is an actual sensible uh, intervention. We cannot do this. 
and all the lily-livered politicians who have little to think about bar getting elected the next time around, or all the people who sort of say uh, it's only 5 million people in 500 million, we have to look at the fact that there are now people attempting to visit our countries within Europe who have no interest in integrating. And until we find people who integrate, uh, this problem is not going to be solved. There is a war. There is a war on our faith. There is a war on our culture. There is a war on our future. And there is ultimately a war on our very way of life for our children and, most importantly, our grandchildren. Well, the uh, doll sat today... um, there's still no government. Uh, the outgoing environment minister, Alan Kelly, was on his feet on the biggest issue facing surely this government, uh, the homeless crisis. Uh, and this is what he had to say. Those of you who have the capacity, and many of you do, instead of just talking about it, actually come in here, take this seat if you so wish, and actually go and deliver on those promises. Because now, at this moment in time, in this doll, a number of you actually have the opportunity to do so. So put up or else. Thank you, Minister. Thank you. I I really think uh, Alan Kelly is part of the problem here. Alan Kelly produced uh, a populist answer to rising rents, which in fact, and everybody said it at the time, his solution for rents would actually mean that there would be less and less properties available and there would be less and less landlords investing in properties to rent. The result? That's precisely what happened. And we're going to be talking about it in a minute, where there are now less properties uh, to rent than perhaps at any time in recent years. Well, we've heard all about Jerry Adams having a tough time with security in America. Apparently, Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald had a difficult time also on her way back. Here's what she happened to her. The administration in the United States is well aware that uh, Sinn Féin and the leadership of Sinn Féin over many years have been architects of the peace process, um, are a a force for good, whereas stringent security is defensible. Singling people out, it seems to me, simply on the basis of your political view, is not an acceptable thing to do. She did say, Deputy MacDonald, that it was heavy-handed and invasive. I'm not sure what she meant by that. But all of us who have travelled backwards and forwards to the USA uh, realise that the American uh, immigration authorities are, by and large, heavy-handed. And uh, we put up with it because we're their guests. We're going into their country. And if they want to handle it their way, that's their way. Did they single Mary Lou MacDonald out for his polit- for her political views? I don't know. Is single me out for my political views when they stop me or when they stop any of us? They are entitled to stop people any time they like. If you want to go to America, or then they are entitled to uh, deal with it whatever way they like. Um, the, uh, uh, the the issue now of uh, 
the Brussels uh, atrocity. Kevin says, give it up, you old deflated sex creep. I love these texts. You know exactly what book caused these losers to blow themselves up. Call it as it is. I don't know how much as it is you want me to call it, Kevin. Uh, but I'm not sure what being a sex creep has to do with it. Please don't act as if we have a lovely culture and value system that needs protection. Some of it needs binning and reform. Well, that may well be true if you'd like the culture and value system uh, in the countries that, that so many people are now fleeing from, then you might prefer to go there. What we have at the moment is as good as it gets. And we ought to realise that. And we ought to realise that it's worth fighting for, it's worth protecting, and that it is worth making the effort. And uh, Michael says, where did the attackers of the World Trade Centre come from? America's big mate, Saudi Arabia. Are they going to stop Saudis coming in or keep selling them weapons, says Michael? Yeah, that's what Donald Trump was talking about. And uh, Anthony and Donegal thinks Trump is 100% right. Uh, the uh, Paris attackers were Belgians, says a listener. Europeans grew up. That is precisely the point. That what we are creating is not a problem for tomorrow, but a problem for radicalized young people who may be coming in, or not even so young people, who are coming in now become radicalized and cause the problem. And invariably what is happening is these bombs have been detonated by citizens of the country. Uh, Keith says, uh, I was questioned for 15 minutes because my girlfriend is from Texas. Their house, their rules, says Keith. How right you are. Why don't we start treating Yanks in the same way, George, says another listener. We're absolutely entitled to treat them any way we like. That's our business. If we treat them a different way, we treat them a different way. They make the rules for them. We make the rules for us. Uh, I suppose you supported the internment of Japanese Americans in the Second World War simply on the basis of the fact that they were related to Japan, says Shane in Wicklow. The internment of the Japanese in World War II is very difficult uh, to support. Uh, but then, you, because there were Japanese Americans, what we are talking about are not Europeans. We are talking about millions of people that we are proposing to accept just on Germany's say-so. And now Europe has been run by Germany, whether we like it or not. You don't think Enda is over in Brussels at the moment and anybody is paying a blind bit of attention to what he has to say. They're waiting to see what does Angela Merkel say. And because she made a horlex of this in the first place, uh, we now are paying the piper for the two. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, all day uh, we have heard of the atrocities uh, in Brussels and I'm joined now by former teacher John Bruton, uh, of course formerly also European Union's ambassador to the United States and was vice president of the European People's Party. John Bruton, welcome to the programme. Thanks, George. 
How do you read this politically? I mean, obviously, sympathy goes out to people who've died, members of families. Is this an atrocity? But it, there, we cannot deny that this has massive political repercussions aimed at the capital of the European Union. Uh, that's right. Uh, the European Commission was locked down. I was due to go into have a meeting at 10 o'clock this morning in the European Commission and I couldn't uh, access the building or anywhere near it because it was all locked down because it was close to where the uh, metro bombing took place. Uh, clearly, there was an intelligence failure here in the part of the Belgian authorities. Uh, they ought to know more than they did know about this group, which has been obviously active in Belgium for some time. There is a added problem that good number of the terrorists are being recruited within the prison system. People who go to prison for perhaps minor offences emerge having been inculcated with uh, terrorist ideology. But John Bruton, there is now an issue that um, the the idea of borders remains, and and I think it's you're Irish and I and I'm Irish, and and by that we have to concern ourselves not just with the broader issues of the European Union, but of this country. There is now a real issue, front and foremost, as to how we are going to deal with our borders and how we are going to deal with uh, uh, enormous numbers of people who are moving into Europe who have a totally different cultural approach and in many cases, quite simply, are uh, aiming to do harm. Because the people in Paris, the people in Belgium, and no doubt the people in Istanbul are, are, are citizens of that country. Well, I don't think we should confuse uh, terrorists who commit this sort of offence, many of whom have actually been born in Belgium yes. or born in Britain or born in France with people who are refugees, who are fleeing persecution and in imminent death. These are different categories of people. Now, one may, over a generation or two, transmute into the other, but they are different people at this stage. Borders are a problem, but there, we must also recognize that there are borders within countries. In Belgium, there are, uh, I think it's 37 different police forces who don't share intelligence adequately with one another. We don't have adequate intelligence sharing between the police forces of the 28 member states of the European Union. If we want to have the convenience of not having border checks everywhere in Europe, we've got to have intelligence sharing between police forces on a much better level than we have it at the present time. I think that's one of the imminent challenges that we have to take up, just as we've got to deal with the issue of radicalization of people while in prison and the failure to find ways of integrating people from minority communities into the broader community other than in the workplace. But, John Bruton, um, interesting you use the word that they may transmute. These are the refugees. They may transmute into something else. That is really the issue. The issue isn't for you and me. The issue is for our children and, more importantly, our grandchildren. In, in what kind of a country they're going to be living in and what kind of Europe they're going to be living in. This... This, this change in the way that uh, political achievements are attempting to be won by, by, by suicide bombers and in the hearts of city will change forever the way we live. But this sort of thing happens within Europe as well. 
we have seen how people in our own country have been transmuted into terrorists, terrorists by the celebration of a warped version of our own history, and who, where people feel justified in committing acts of extreme violence because of some sense of denial of some impossible uh, political goal. This is something in human nature. It's not just in Islam. Well, I, I think... And we've got, to deal, we've got to deal with it in those terms rather than run the risk. Because I think we may be running a time, as we did before in the 1930s, Jews were scapegoated for Europe's problems. We must avoid scapegoating people of, a, of Muslim faith uh, for problems of lack of security, problems of lack of integration, or... Are, are, are just simple uh, problems of not giving people an understanding of what it is to live in a civilized democratic society. But this is, like you've used the word simple a number of times, this is far from simple. What we're looking at, surely, and you're much more expert in this than I am, surely we are now looking at the greatest test that this European uh, conglomeration has ever faced. Now, when this started, uh, when the great idea of Jean Monnet, the whole idea originally was it'll keep Germany and France from going to war with each other and we'll have a, a European free trade area of six countries. Now that's how it started out and nobody was thinking at this point that we'd have a common currency that, that we could move freely between 28 countries for jobs or, or travel or otherwise. This, uh, this is a completely different idea that we're now facing and it may be surely, John Bruton, an, an idea that just is not fit for purpose anymore. Well, the idea of free movement of people and goods between countries was one of the ideas that was at the very beginning of the European Union in 1956. It's not something that's been recently introduced. To the extent that we have a single currency, that was put there to avoid inflation and competitive devaluation and all of those trade wars that prevented Europeans from achieving their potential. So if we become more inefficient because we reintroduce borders of various kinds within Europe, we will lose even more than we might otherwise lose. So I think we need to keep a sense of proportion about these things. But it's easy to keep a sense of proportion and then a day like today happens and a day like Istanbul happens and then a day like Paris happens. Like, we're, we're, we're not talking about the 1930s. We're not talking about World War Two. We're talking about in 2016. And uh, there is clearly a massive change. I mean, people, whether it's Joan Burton or whether it's Francois Hollande or Charlie Flanagan, everybody is saying, this is a direct attack on Europe. This is no different from Pearl Harbor. It's just done in a different way. Well, what do these terrorists want us to do? What they want us to do is to go backwards. They want us to adopt draconian measures. They want us to reintroduce borders. They want us to handicap our economy by introducing all those sorts of borders and controls that some might wish because they do not like what Europe stands for. Now, Europe stands for an inclusive civilization. In my view, I would say a Christian-inspired civilization. And I think we need to stand up for those values and, and not be intimidated by, or not allow ourselves to be manipulated uh, by the terrorists 
attacks and this sort of publicity-seeking attack that they are launching. Remember, what they are doing is manipulating the media to create fear amongst Europeans. This is a publicity exercise, even though it's one that's costing many lives. Its primary purpose is to achieve a certain type of publicity. But but you talk about an inclusive Europe, and and you can't, and I think you're trying to do it, but I happen to disagree with you. That doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means I disagree with you. Islam is not an inclusive society. It never has been. The role of women is a classic example. Islam has never been an inclusive society. And what you also said was you talked about the Christian values of Europe. The Christian values of Europe are hard. To Islam, and and that's why they won't integrate. That's why, and you're in Brussels. You know why in Belgium or in Paris or in parts of Europe there are enclaves of people who don't think they're Parisians or or, or Belgians. They still think they are living in an Islamic society, and that's why they don't integrate. And and that's why integration, even in this country, is exceedingly difficult. And and that's something that we have got to change. We have got to take on the issue of integration, whether it be through the school system or through whatever behavior changes we require for taking part in our society to make people feel that they have to join our society fully and not just live in it without joining it. Now, how that is to be done is something requiring a lot more thought than I'm able to give it in the space of this interview, but it's the, it, that is the challenge. An impossible challenge, in no, my view. I mean, challenge, George. Nothing is impossible <laughs> if you put your mind to it. And it is, it is a challenge, and we, we shouldn't lose a sense of proportion. The number of people who die from terrorist uh, attacks are considerably fewer than the number of who die from road accidents and from other avoidable things. So let's not turn our society upside down just because of something that is deliberately intended, deliberately intended to create the sort of reaction that you're expressing. But I'm not being manipulated. I believe it. Nobody is. You're giving public voice to it. I am giving public voice to it because I... mistaken myself. No, yes, but you're giving public voice, and it's the purpose of this discussion, you're giving public voice to an opposite view, and the people listening to the program can then make their minds up as to whether your view or mine. I I disagree with you fundamentally. I disagree with European politicians fundamentally. I particularly disagree with Irish politicians who today are facing an enormous housing crisis, and we're allowing Irish citizens uh, to be homeless and at the same time you know I believe we're crying crocodile tears uh, about people from other jurisdictions who are homeless I don't think we're crying crocodile tears at all about people from other jurisdictions the number of refugees that Ireland has taken uh, since the Syrian war and the Syrian war is one of the worst wars that has taken place in this part of the world since the Second World War. The number of refugees who have come to Ireland from Syria is almost as few as the number of Jews who are allowed into Europe, to Ireland, during the lead-up to the Second World War. In other words, very few indeed. So I don't think we should 
exaggerate uh, our, our own position in this matter. The fact is the Syrian war has taken place. People are dying in it. When you have wars on that scale, people flee from it. Those people have to be accommodated somewhere. It isn't possible for Turkey and Greece alone to bear this burden. And therefore, either we help financially or we help to accommodate people. But I think that you know, this is one of our human responsibilities. We can't just draw up the drawbridge of life and say, well, the only people we want in from other countries are people who will look after us when we're old as nurses or people who will work in our hospitals. But any other people, we don't want them. That sort of selective approach is a sort of form of reverse colonialism. Well, uh, you could go back a long way to Theodore Roosevelt, John Bruton, who said that I don't care who comes to America as long as they are um, ultimately Americans, that they live in our country, they respect our traditions and they respect our flag. I don't think we're asking any more of people who come to Ireland or indeed to wider Europe. But of the 28 countries, uh, we know that there are an awful lot of other countries who are at the forefront of it, like Hungary, like Croatia, Slovakia and others, who are pulling up the drawbridge. So, I like, agree with what Theodore Roosevelt said. I think we, as Europeans, have got to define what it is to be a European, what we require of people who come to live in Europe, and take steps, whatever steps we can, to ensure that people coming here live up to that. Just before you go, John, um, the, the, you mentioned about Turkey, about giving them money, and, and you've expressed uh, a deeply held and understandable humanitarian view on this issue. But are you not slightly concerned that we think we can solve the problem by telling the Greeks and the Turks to keep them all down there in southern Europe and listen, keep them as long as we give you a few billion euro? Are you not disappointed about that as Europe's approach to the problem? In one word, yes. All right, that's a good way to go. Thank you so much for joining me on the programme. Former Taoiseach of uh, the Republic of Ireland, John Bruton. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I'm joined now by uh, Frank MacDonald. Uh, Frank, welcome to the programme. And Thanks, you, George. You're a spokesperson for Temple Bar residents, yes. but you have some deeply worrying news about I, rental property. I certainly do. And uh, in fact, I have to pay tribute to our secretary, Declan O'Brien, who did most of the research for this. And, and when he produced the results, I was really reeling with shock. And what, it, what we found out really was that... Um, that at least 2,000 homes, mainly apartments, but also houses uh, in the city, have been turned over to, you know, Airbnb-style uh, use. In other for words, tour- for short-term lettings to tourists and, and, and others. And, you know, the current figures show that on the Airbnb website alone, there are 1,748 apartments or houses in Dublin available for holiday lettings. And if other agencies such as Booking.com and the Key Collection and others are included, the overall number exceeds 2,000. And this is happening at a time when the city is facing not just, I would say, a housing crisis, but a housing emergency. Um, and where the local authorities are spending about 25 million a year uh, putting up homeless families um, in highly unsuitable uh, hotel rooms, 
uh, uh, while at the same time actual apartments that were built purpose built for long term residential use are being are being let out uh, for for to tourists but we knew this was going to happen when alan kelly came in which was ap- with an absolutely populist answer to the so-called rental crisis of turning around saying you couldn't raise it for two years or whatever he came up with. Every expert said this will lead to an evacuation from the rental property business by landlords. Did they not? Well, they did. And, uh, but I, I think that, uh, that, that this, this phenomenon of the short-term lets has really happened under the radar. I don't think any politician... Uh, in Leinster House has taken it on board yet. They, they, I mean, this is the first time that the extent of the problem has been established. And of course, you know, it's very profitable for people who own apartments to rent them out uh, like this because whereas the average rent in the city for, say, a one or two bedroom flat would be 1200 um, or 1300 a, a month, you know, you can rent out apartments for 120 or more euro per night so there's obviously so that's, that that's uh, then as near as damn it a thousand a week. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you could make yeah. you could make a lot of money, and but you know, our argument basically is that this is not residential use. This is commercial use. They've turned these uh, apartments and houses into, into short term lets. The people they? who own them. Yeah, but aren't they entitled to that if they well, want they, to? Well, they they are. They are indeed. Right, but okay. e- except that. We we also make the point here that a 1996 High Court uh, judgment uh, was that short-term lettings constituted commercial use of residential properties, and and they need planning permission, in other words, for a oh, change of I use, see. and yes. they haven't got planning permission. Yes. And we're also raising a question about whether the income that's being made from this very lucrative business is being declared uh, to the revenue, as even Airbnb admits that it doesn't qualify for tax relief and so on. And there are antisocial elements to this as well, because, you know, uh, we, we came across one case, uh, I mean, this is just quite typical, really, I suppose, um, of uh, an apartment in Temple Bar that was rented out uh, to a group of students and who turned it into a party flat for the weekend. And uh, what happened was, they, you know, they brought in their ghetto blasters and whatnot and blasted the whole building with noise, left the door to the common stairs and landings open. And when the permanent residents objected to the noise, they were told to feck off. Yeah. Um, um, and in another case, even more seriously, an apartment that was rented through Airbnb uh, uh, rented out through Airbnb um, uh, was turned into a brothel for two weeks over Christmas in a building which consists of three flats, uh, one of which is occupied by a family with a four-year-old child. And you can imagine the appalling but, but, incongruity, okay. as it were, All of right. fellas going up and down yeah. the stairs to the brothel. All right. Now, I'm appalled that your sleep was disturbed by ghetto blasters and I'm appalled that you I were... Nothing, that had nothing right. to do with that me. I'm talking offended, about another building. That you were offended by short-skirted ladies with red lipstick zipping no, up and down No, no, I'm just telling you, that, no, but, you know, we've no, had complaints about this from that, other people. I know that. Yeah. Forgive me being slightly humorous. Yeah. But the point is, though, that... The phenomenon is that Airbnb has been around, and you have said this has happened beneath the radar of the politician. Yes. The people are supposed to know. The fact that it went below your radar, my radar, is excusable because we're not the pros here. Well, I mean... Yeah. No, but do you yeah, know what I mean? I do, yeah. yeah. The, the, the thing is, 
caretaker Minister Kelly stood up and dulled today and said to everyone, well, if you can do a ballot job to me, come on over here and do it. You know, this confrontational stuff. He's a he's, pugnacious lad. Alan but he's Kelly. the root of the problem. Well, I mean, one, one, he has been Minister for the Environment for the last 18 months or something like that. Now he's acting Minister for the Environment. And, uh, you know, in his period in office, I think he did a lot of damage, um, notably by by enforcing uh, a reduced um, uh, reduced size for apartments and so on in, in Dublin and elsewhere. I mean, you know... Politicians have got to face up to the fact that they're, they're, that we first of all we do have a housing emergency in the city. We need as many rental units as possible to Correct. be on the market. I mean, for example, we found, we we found out. I mean, it's easy to find this out that um, there are currently only twelve hundred and seventy six seventy six residential listings for Dublin on Rent.ie, compared to more than five thousand, say, a few years ago. So, you know, say if you were to take the Tyrrellstown residents who are in danger of being forced out of their homes, their options are reduced because the number of properties that are available for letting for long term residential use is being reduced by this profiteering that's taking place. Absolutely. But what you do if you're the minister for the environment instead of, you know, being pugnacious, what you do is you set a system up. That makes it attractive for people to rent. Yes, of course. Yes, yes, of course. That's Absolutely. What you do. Not make it unattractive. Absolutely, which and is that, what that is did. something that has bedeviled uh, the rental sector for, in this country for years and years and years. And indeed, Fintan O'Toole was writing about this in the Irish Times this morning. But what we would like to see happening is we 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 want to see a task force set up to look at all aspects of this issue, and that kind of thing has been done in Paris and in Berlin before. Uh, before now, and in the case of Berlin, it's it's estimated that that legislation that requires short-term lettings all to be registered, you know, to be run properly, and so on and so forth, to be uh, in effect officially approved, that that has led to about twelve thousand apartments in Berlin being brought back into the long-term. Uh, re- residential but, sector. But, for, but like the Germans, they have lots of qualities and lots of, of weaknesses. But but like they're not any smarter than our politicians. No. They just have testosterone. No. And they look at the problem and say, we're going to do something about exactly. it. Exactly. That is exactly what's missing here. You know, and that's the reason why we've we've wandered you know, um, uh, into this whole uh, uh, housing emergency in Dublin uh, and in, in, in other places too. But primarily but it is Dublin, extraordinary because, that, because, that, because yeah. there is nobody prepared to bite the bullet and, or, or to take decisive action in relation to these things. And a socialist minister won't handle it. I don't see any reason why uh, any so-called socialist minister wouldn't but handle it. should be it. number one on this agenda. What, what, ideal, uh, what ideological strike they are. The point about it is that, you know, and this is there, there seems to be some agreement on this uh, in the political establishment that, that, that housing is now going to be a priority for whoever forms the next government. And what I would like to see happening is a cabinet minister in charge of housing and planning, how may, how, oh yeah. housing and planning so that so that that can be abstracted from all of the other things that that 
that yeah. the custom house is how responsible many for. Times, yeah, you know, like sorry. water and sewerage okay. and all how that How many kind of times stuff? have I told you that when the British were faced with a housing crisis after World War II, they didn't even get a minister. They got an MP and they said to him, you're in charge of this thing. Make it work. Yeah. And that's what he did. Yeah, that's right. Now, but, now the thing is, we do that. We, we have a fellow called Kelly who does absolutely sweet FA. Look, yeah, but tank, hold no. on a second. Now, this problem has not just arisen in, no. in Alan Kelly's watch. In fairness to him, uh, it, it has arisen over a long number of decades because we basically stopped building social housing in the 1980s. And, and we're now living with the consequences of that, which include putting up families in hotel rooms for months on end because there's nowhere else to put them. You know, and that is a scandalous situation. And, uh, you know, uh, um, if, if housing and planning was given to a cabinet minister, you know, we might have the same kind of focus as it got way back in the 1920s and 30s when we built vast volumes okay. of social housing in Dublin, uh, and, uh, which Absolutely. people could afford to live in. All right. Um, Frank MacDonald, who happens to be spokesperson for the Temple Bar Residence, who did us all a favour with that uh, extraordinary research on the rental market. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But, of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between 4.30 and 7 every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.